Good morning, Church of West Franklin. Thank you so much for just coming out on a rainy morning, listening to the backup preacher. This is, uh, this is uh, my second time getting to uh, preach to you all, and it's such a privilege. First time was way back in November, and so thank you all for uh, just showing me so much love and support all through that time. It's been over six or seven months now. It's incredible, and it's been a privilege to walk through um, just so many different seasons and stages of life with you guys uh, all in that one time. So thank you so much for loving me as a ministry resident and giving me the opportunity to do what I love most, which is open God's word with God's people. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Got married 17 days ago, getting to preach my second sermon. I'm an adult. I don't know how that happens. I just looked up and all of a sudden I'm an adult. If you'd stand with me for the honor of reading God's word. The verses are going to be up on the screens behind me, but again, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to read all of it, 13 verses. Paul says, If I speak in human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not irritable. And does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. Knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this blessed, most beautiful, and one of the most famous passages on love that exists. Father, would you fill us all with your spirit, me to preach your word faithfully, and Father, the congregation, in order to hear and to receive it. Father, strengthen us through your word, and it's in your son's name I ask these things, amen. West Franklin's that time again. It's VBS time. You guys can pray for me. I'm going to be working two VBSs. They have the residents working uh, the main VBS over at uh, the Brentwood campus. We have over, I think it's 1,200 kids already pre-registered, uh, which is the highest that it's ever been. And so uh, me and another resident, we're going to be leading a class together, and we're just, we're just hanging on for dear life. So after this, we're going to be spending the other half of the day preparing our rooms and preparing our sanity for uh, that wave that's about to hit us. And then, of course, the week after, I have the very great privilege of getting to be uh, here at West Franklin and doing our VBS. And I love VBS, especially 
you know, of course for the salvations, of course to get for children to hear the gospel and come to know that Jesus loves them, but I especially love the stories, if I'm honest, because when you get a bunch of kids who don't know each other, who don't know the teacher in a room together, it's nuts. Anything goes, anything can be said, anything can be done. I love the stories that I've heard. I remember uh, Deborah, my lovely wife of now 17 days, she served as the Brentwood uh, preschool choir director this past semester, and she would come home with the craziest story. She's like, John, I was trying to teach instruments, I was trying to teach class, and all of a sudden this kid on the front row, he just undid his pants <laughs> right in front of everyone. And I'm like, yeah, baby, that's, that's what happens. That's what they do. They just undo their pants. I remember uh, teaching Sunday school. Whenever I was in uh, college, I taught Sunday school, and I was telling this little kid about Jesus and how he can be saved and how Jesus loves him. And I was like, man, I'm going to get such a big jewel on my crown in heaven for this, what I'm doing right now. It's going to be great. And this little kid just had an attitude, and he, he had no idea what he was saying. Let me preface that. No idea what he was saying, but he was like, no, 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 no. You tell God. God, that I saved him. Just one act big and tall. But I mean, like, what do, you, what do you do with that level of blasphemy that just comes out of a kid's mouth? I remember just praying. I was like, God, just let me clear the blast radius before you totally light this kid up, please. Let me just get clear of the building. <laughs> And then I remember, uh, in just preparing for this VBS, I remember talking to a friend of mine who's worked the Brentwood VBS probably like three years in a row. Um, she, uh, probably the worst question that, was, uh, was, that could be asked was asked to her. She'd been teaching all week. Things had been going pretty well. No craziness, no, nothing too crazy had happened. So she's teaching the Bible lesson on the last day. This little kid raises his hand. Miss Caitlin? Yes, Charlie. I know where babies come from. <laughs> rapture now, Jesus, please, rapture, just take me away. I mean, I can't, I cannot even imagine. I would just faint. I would just faint right there in the middle of class. And that, that picture of just a bunch of crazy kids in a room where anything can be said, anything can be done, that is a perfect picture of the church at Corinth. This was a new church, but uh, when the when the time Paul, uh, by the time Paul wrote the letter of 1 Corinthians to this church, they'd been about three years old, and they thought they were way too cool for school. They thought they were the best thing since sliced bread, and they acted like it. They, like little kids in a room together, they refused to conform to anyone. They were deeply divided over leadership. They couldn't decide who they were going to follow. Some people were like, I'm going to follow Apollos. Because Apollos was apparently this really phenomenal preacher at the time. We're like, no, I'm going to follow Paul. And of course, the holiest, most arrogant of them was like, I'm going to follow Jesus. It was like the most ancient Jesus Duke that there's ever been. And they were arguing over whose spiritual gift was the greatest. I have the most humility. No, I have the most humility. I have the most humility. They argued over food laws. They argued across social lines, across dress codes. They argued about what is appropriate and inappropriate sexual conduct. They, they were suing one another, taking one another to court. They were even cutting in front of one another at church in the communion line in order to get drunk off the wine. They are, they are such a messed up church that when Paul writes his letter, actually in chapter 11, he writes, your meetings do more harm than good. Can you imagine, like, 
It, it would be better for them as a church if they didn't have Sunday morning worship services. You know you've hit rock bottom as a church when your Sunday morning services are doing more harm than good. So they should be humbly serving one another, but instead they're just acting all smug and superior. They should be unified parts of the body working together collectively, but instead each part is rebelling against the others and belittling the others and saying you don't belong to the body. And so Paul just grieved to his heart and just trying to figure out what to do with this church, he writes the letter of 1 Corinthians to help straighten out the many crooked issues, uh, the many crooked dilemmas that they've gotten themselves into. And he writes this chapter, chapter 13 in particular, to show them two things. And that is to show them how much good all of their ministry and all of their works are actually doing. And also to show them what true love, what true church ministry done in love actually looks like. So his first piece of advice can be summed up to them in, these, in this phrase. Works without love are empty. Works without love are empty. I'm sure you've heard that famous phrase back in the book of James that faith without works is dead. It's absolutely true. I think equally true is that works without love are empty. Paul says to them, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Paul earlier references their spiritual gifts, tongues and prophecy. These were the proudest gifts that the Corinthians had. These were very special, supernatural gifts that they had. Uh, this isn't a sermon on spiritual gifts. I just wanted to note that. Uh, but their purpose was to build up the church. That was the purpose of these gifts but the Corinthians were using them terribly. They thought that because they had these great, supernatural, amazing gifts, they're like, I'm a rock star. That's the only reason why God would bestow this amazing gift on me. It's because I'm a rock star. And they showed off. They showed off they were arrogant, and instead of using their gifts humbly, instead of doing that in order, they would, just, they would come in the worship service and just be like, I have a word from God for all of you. Like, while the guy was preaching, while the preacher was preaching, they would just come in and just declare that they had a word from God, or they would begin speaking in tongues and just speaking completely out of order when there wasn't even an interpreter to be said or to be had. They were arrogant, and they belittled those with lesser spiritual gifts. They thought that they were less Christian or that God had less love for them. And Paul's response is, guys, you're, you're just a clanging gong. You're not building up the church in love, you're building yourself up. You're just puffing yourself up with hot air and with pride and with empty works that you think are good. He says, this is unacceptable. He goes on in verse two, if I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul says the Corinthians could go down in a literal blaze of glory for the Lord Jesus Christ, but that if they didn't do it from love, it was nothing. They would gain absolutely nothing. No reward, no praise from God, nothing. That's a big statement. To give yourself over to be burned for the cause of Christ, yet to gain nothing. What was it that the Corinthians were missing? They had the gifts, no doubt about it. They had too much of the gifts. They had the ministry. 
They had the organization. They had the people who were coming who were investing in the church. What was going on? They had all of the form of ministry. They had the form of ministry, but not the heart, not the essence of what ministry truly was. They were like a Ferrari without an engine. Every faction, every Christian Sunday school or group or life group, they clung to selfishness. They were like, this is about my ministry expression, my way of doing things, my way is the best way, my way is the right way. You need to make room for me, you need to make room for us. We're a big deal. And Paul says, you've completely missed it. It doesn't matter how good the prophecies you give are, it doesn't matter how beautifully you speak. If you do not have love, your works are empty. And that is because that love alone empowers our works and makes them useful. Love alone empowers our good works, our service as Christians, as a church body, and makes them useful. The Corinthians had the form of ministry, but not the heart of ministry. So how about us, West Franklin? We may not have the gifts, the supernatural gifts, or the ministries, or the particular works of the first Corinthians. That's true, that's very true. But we do have spiritual gifts. We do have the good works and the ministry projects that God has entrusted to our care. And at this point, I just wanna to say to all of our volunteers, those who have served in any capacity, thank you so much. Thank you so much for investing your heart and your time and your life into this church. For those who greet, for those who are on coffee team, especially for those who are on coffee team, you are my favorite team. For the band and choir, how you guys lead us each and every Sunday, thank you for that. That's incredible. You guys do incredible work. The sound and tech team who only gets noticed when things go wrong but silently serve in love. And the parking team and childcare team, thank you guys. I can't even thank all of you because right now you're out in the parking lot or in childcare serving. Half the team is there. And of course, all of our VBS workers, thank you so much for investing your time. I appreciate you all and love you all so much. You're a beautiful picture of what we're meant to be and how we're meant to serve in the church. And because I love you and appreciate you all, I want to protect you and protect all of us as a church from the Corinthians' mistake. How do we avoid that? How do we protect the heart of ministry while still being devoted to the logistics and the form of ministry that truly is important? I think something that might help is if we ask ourselves better questions. You see, as we're served by others and as we serve others, we need to ask not just form, what I'm calling form questions of our ministry, but heart questions. See, we tend to evaluate our ministry success by did all the bulletins get handed out right? Were they printed off correctly? Did the coffee get put in right? Uh, were the traffic cones and the flags put up right? Was there enough creamer? If, if you were in the choir, did I sing on pitch? Did I stay in key? Was I on time? Uh, for the tech team, did the slides turn out right? Were they, were they all in the right order? Did they come out at the right time? Don't get me wrong, those are very important questions. We can't have church without certain things being in place, of course. But if, they be, if those important aspects of ministry become the defining aspects of ministry, how we define our ministry, whether it was successful or not, we're gonna end up like the, we're gonna end up like the Corinthians. We're gonna get all emotionally wrapped up in things that are important, but that aren't ultimate. And we're gonna miss it. We're gonna be just like the Corinthians if we do that. We're gonna be a noisy gong and we're gonna be filled with emptiness. And so we need to ask ourselves another question. I think for all of us who serve, we need to ask ourselves, did I serve in love? 
It's the most important question you can ask. A lot of other, all those questions we mentioned, they are important questions, but the most important is, did I serve with love? Did I genuinely and intentionally care for those who I was serving? Did I care more about making myself look good or God look good through me? Did I put the needs of the guests before my own and their interests or was I, was I really just trying to do the minimum and look out for myself? And you see, some of you are saying, well, John, it, it, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that I go, I get the job done. I'm in Williamson County. This is how we do it. We just need to get the job done. Not gonna argue with you, that's true. But it's not true to say that that's all that matters, just, just getting the job done. Because when you come to church, you're never just serving. You're never just serving. You're never just being in church. When you come and you serve on Sunday mornings, you're investing in an eternal kingdom, the eternal kingdom of God Almighty. And I've been saying serving on Sundays. It doesn't matter if you serve on Sundays or any time of the week, at any point when you serve. That's what you're doing. You are serving the kingdom of God. You're not just showing up. You're never just showing up. And I can promise you that God always notices the faithful service of his people, whether anyone else sees it or not. So the point is, sharpen your gifts and invest in the specific ways that you have been ministering. That's very important, but make sure you focus on love. Make sure you cling to the heart of what ministry is, because otherwise we're just going to be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. We need to love one another. We need to love God. And Paul gives us another reason why we should focus on love as the heart of our service, and that is that works without love are passing. They're not just empty. Works without love are passing. You see, all our gifts, all our good works, all our favorite ministry projects that we devote ourselves towards, all our missions, efforts, and all our missions journeys, those one day are gonna end. Paul says as much as in verse eight of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. What does that mean, the perfect? There's been a lot of theological debate that has raged around what Paul meant by that word perfect. But I think at its heart, Paul is referring to the kingdom of God. You see, one day, all of this preparation work that we've been doing to build the church, to get it ready, to get it healthy for the day of Christ, one day the day of Christ will actually come. One day the kingdom of heaven will be here and we won't need to build it up anymore because it'll have been built. And all that will be left is to enjoy it, to enjoy the kingdom of God where selfless love is as common and as easy as breathing. That's the day we're waiting for. You see, our Sunday school, our favorite ministry projects, our missions journeys, those aren't gonna last forever. No church ministry, no church, no style of doing ministry is gonna last forever. What will last forever, though, is the love that is communicated through those things. That investment will live on forever and ever and ever. And if you want a real practical reason of why we need to focus on love as the heart of our ministry and not get distracted by the form, I can point to VBS, the thing that we're about to have in two weeks. See, when VBS is over, 
The kids aren't gonna really remember all the snacks, all the crafts, the games, the toys. They're not gonna remember the boo-boos they got or the bumps they had or falls that happened. They're not gonna remember the props, the giant painted soccer balls or all the things that we did. Those things are important. We can't have VBS without that. Don't get me wrong, those things are important. But what they're gonna remember is if they were loved. And they're gonna remember that their teachers loved one another that they made an effort to get along. And they're gonna remember that for some reason we really loved Jesus and that Jesus really loved them. And that's what it's all about. And we have to hold tight to that because otherwise we're gonna get all in a tizzy about the secondary issues. Those things are important, but they're secondary. We need to cling to what's ultimate. And that's Paul's application for the Corinthians, and that's his advice to us as well, to keep our eyes on the eternal, to keep our eyes on love. So now we need to address the elephant in the room. Verse four, we've been talking all about love, but we need to actually define what love is. And if you, don't know, if you know anything about the English language, love is impossible to define. We love our spouses, we love pizza, we love vacations. We have all of these different types of love, but only one word for it, love. And it's really, really hard to actually pin down what it is. However, John Townsend, a Christian author, one of my favorite authors, he wrote a book called Loving People, How to Love and Be Loved. He has probably the best definition I've been able to find on love so far. And he says, at its heart, love is a value. A value is something that forms the basis for who you are and how you run your life and relationships. In other words, love is having a value for doing and being what is most helpful for someone. Its intent is for the betterment, safety, healing, growth, success, and responsible behavior of someone else. It is an others-oriented and others-focused value. Man, I love that definition. I don't think you can get better than that. You see, I notice that Paul doesn't define love nearly so much as he describes it, almost as if it was a person. And I think that's because Paul really knows what he's doing. And he knows that love can only only truly be understood as a person. And for us, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. For the Christian, for the entire human race, Jesus, God's only son, is the highest, the most beautiful, the clearest expression of God's love to us. And I think we understand that whenever we insert Jesus in place of love in that definition. Jesus is patient with you. Did you know that he wants to forgive you? He's not just looking for a reason for you to earn it. He wants to forgive you and to stick it out with you. Jesus is kind. He wants to help you and be generous to you. Jesus isn't jealous of you, that you also have the Father's affections. He is so, so happy to call you his brother or sister. He doesn't boast over you, or he doesn't boast against you. He uses his authority to serve you and to build you up. Jesus isn't arrogant or rude because he cares about your feelings. He knows life on this earth is really, really hard. Jesus never insists on his own way. Instead, he lays his life down and goes to the cross to pay for our sins. Jesus isn't resentful. He knows that your true identity is not defined by the sins you've made in the past, the failings that you're making right now, or even the sins and failings of your future. He knows that your true identity is defined by grace, 
And that's how he thinks about you and feels about you every single day. Jesus doesn't rejoice when wrong things happen to you, but rejoices when you find the truth. Jesus bears all things for you. He believes all things for you. He hopes all things for you. And he endures all things for you. And his love for you will never, ever end. Jesus wants us to work very hard with our gifts and do many good works, but not if we forget our love for him in the process. And not if we forget our love for one another in the process. So as a church, as we put on this VBS in two weeks, as we go in our life groups, as we serve in those, as we lead, as we serve in any capacity, let us remember that the most important aspect of our ministry, the heart of ministry, is that we do it out of love, out of love for one another and love for God. To my Christian brothers and sisters, if you struggle with loving others, maybe it's because you don't spend enough time basking in Jesus' love for you. See, love, God's love works like wind in a sailboat. You see, we all know that we need to be at a better destination. We need to be more loving people, but we have no power in and of ourselves. So the only solution is to raise our sail, allow ourselves to be filled by the fullness of God's love for us, and that in and of itself will propel us to be the kind of loving people that God wants us to be. Don't white knuckle it out. That's never the point. That's never how we get ahead. We need to be filled by God. So maybe you need to be filled by God. To my non-Christian friends, I invite you to receive Jesus' love today. The greatest act of love he ever gave was to die on the cross for our sins. You see, we're all separated from God because of sin. And the penalty for sin is death. And we deserve to pay that. But because Jesus loves us and wants to be with us and doesn't want us to die, he died in our place and rose again so that we could have new life, new fellowship with him forever. Jesus reconciled us back to a loving God. Heavenly Father, you are such a good and gracious God. Thank you for not only giving us yourself and your son, but also one another. Help us to minister and serve one another in love and model the love that Jesus gave for all of us. In his name we pray, amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.